0: hello everyone and welcome to of monsters and magica a podcast about role playing games japanese role playing games you know the whole rpg video game video game deal this is a limited uh, limited episode podcast there will be a total of 6 episodes but uh, i do another another podcast specifically on, on nintendo switch but i figured Given that uh, the majority of my expertise is in regards to role-playing games and Japanese role-playing games, uh, I figured I would do a short little uh, episodic podcast, kind of going over uh, my thoughts on recent events with uh, the role-playing game, the the RPG genre, um, some new games that have come out, as well as uh, some old games, and just kind of... Offering some comprehensive thoughts on the subject. Now, the first thing uh, I would like to go over. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, the Xenoblade Chronicles definitive editions aesthetics and the whole change that occurred there. Uh, we're going to talk about um, what I what I've referred to in my notes as the remake rumble, Final Fantasy VII remake versus the Trials of Mana remake, uh, the and different aspects of, you know, why one is you know, disappointments with each, as well as what each is, which each what each one did very well. Uh, and we're going to talk about the coherence and uh, comprehensibility of uh, stories within Japanese role-playing games or in role-playing games in general, really. And uh, to kind of top it off for. Today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, why silent protagonists should be taking center stage again. So with that, I was surfing through Twitter, and I, I found a, uh, a very interesting tweet that I, I, I don't know whether it was to be ironic or patronizing, but um, somebody wrote a tweet that said uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Uh, looks amazing. I thought Fire Emblem Three Houses was the best looking game on Switch so far. Uh, If you look at Fire Emblem Three Houses, it's very, very far from being the best looking game on Switch. It does have some excellent graphical qualities and I do like the artistic aspect of it. But as far as how it runs, it does not run very well. When you're in the in the monastery, in the open world area, there's a lot of frame rate drops the the entire environment feels like it's chugging as you're trying to, as you're trying to run around um, a lot of the it, it felt like there was a lot of cut corners graphically speaking i mean if you if you look at like a there there's an area with like a, a basket of bread and a basket of fruit and you look in there and it just looks like somebody um painted what looks kind of like rolls it doesn't look like rolls it just it, it doesn't look good Um, There's just a lot of graphical issues with that one. And somebody else pointed out, like, yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 uh, floored us when it came out, graphically speaking. I mean, I remember distinctly when I loaded up that game, um, the first time I was just blown away by how gorgeous the game was the entire way through. I mean, obviously there were some points in the game, you know, you'd start it up and it would take a minute to load in, but that never bothered me. Uh, But, you know, going back to something like Zelda Breath of the Wild, that's a beautiful looking game. And for someone to say (laughs) that Fire Emblem Three Houses is the best looking game on Switch, I'm not sure they've, uh, I'm not sure whether they're being ironic or if they're being patronizing. But one way or another, I just thought it was, I thought it was kind of funny and interesting. I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, and uh, let's let's kind of get to the meat of the of the episode that we have today. We're going to talk about uh, again the remake Rumble, Final Fantasy VII R versus Trials of Mana. Now I've gone through both, and there's I, I have issues with both for one reason or another. Not that neither of them are necessarily bad games. They're both very very good. In fact, I'm heavily addicted to Trials of Mana. Um, I remember the first time I, I played the game, you know, I played it on the collection of mana. I played all three collection of mana games before I even, uh, bought trials of mana, you know, before it even came out the remake anyway. And, um, I remember in the original trials of mana, you, I got through the first boss and I got to, um, I believe I got to the city of Maya and I was just, I was still at a point of disinterest and, it, the, not not to say the game was bad it, it did start very, it didn't start very well in my opinion. Uh, but as soon as I got to the the dwarf tunnels and got to the second boss, the jewel Eater, and got past the second boss, it became very addictive. And the exact same thing has happened with the remake. Uh, and for Final Fantasy VII R, I just I can't speak highly enough of the combat system that's in that game. Um, what they've done with midgar it looks beautiful uh, the characters are amazing I mean <laughs> the guy that did Barrett's voice and I've heard somebody else say this I can't remember who uh, but the guy who did Barrett's vo- oh Jeremy Jans uh, on YouTube um, yeah he, he pointed this out the guy who did Barrett's voice is like exactly how I pictured Barrett would sound so yeah the the uh, let, let's kind of dumb down to uh, j- just a few different uh, aspects of kind of what's good, kind of what's bad. So, uh, graphics department. Both games actually did very, very well. I mean, I was surprised by uh, by how taken aback I was looking at the Trials Matter remake. I mean, every time there would be a sunset, and the the sky would just turn this uh, gorgeous orange and uh, you know, in uh, dark yellow and yeah, I would just sit and just, like, I found moments where i just sit and watch the sunset and listen to the music in the town or, you know, whatever. Um, and by the way, the music in Trials of Mana is beautiful, particularly the Heaven's Way track is, it's a pretty popping track. I, I would recommend just picking up the game just to listen to that track. It's really, really good. I mean, the music alone in that game is worth the money, uh, but you're playing a game, so the game better be good too. And it it is, it's re- very, very good. Uh, but graphic-wise, Final Fantasy 7 R definitely takes the cake. It just—it looks exactly how I pictured Final Fantasy 7 Really looking, uh, you know, with it's very theatrical in its appearance. It's very cinematic in every aspect. It's—I don't even know how Square pulled it off, but everything just looks amazing. Uh, so in, in the graphics department, both games have actually done very well in their respective areas. I do feel like I do feel like if um, the Final Fantasy VII Remake's graphics had been kind of lowered down a little bit, I mean, I, I kind of like the realistic style they went with, but I also really think that if they dumbed that down, kind of went with the Trials of Mana, almost an a- anime aesthetic to it, then the the graphics would wouldn't have been as heavy, and there could have been a lot more used in in the game, a lot more uh, presentation to the game. Not just the city of Midgar, we could have gone to Calm, could have gone to uh, uh, shoot uh, Nibbleheim, Nibelheim, Nibelheim uh, Clouds Old Town. It's been it's been a little while since I played Final Fantasy Seven, uh, but I, I feel like there could have been more uh, the could have been explored in the first episode of Final Fantasy 7-R. Uh, I mean, Midgar was, in the original game, was, and I'm sure everyone knows this by now, the first five or six hours of the original game, which is not very much, which, if I remember correctly, uh, it has been stated that the Final Fantasy 7 uh, remake series is going to be a trilogy. Um, I'm almost positive I've heard that. Anyway, um, if I haven't correct me, I don't know. Send me send me a tweet at Bradtronics b r a d t r o n i x. Um, whatever. I'm I'm just I'm positive that I remember somebody saying that it was just that it was going to be a trilogy. And if it is going to be a trilogy, the next two games are going to be unbelievably massive. Just because, I mean, if you look at the grand scheme of things, Midgar is like five hundredths. Of uh, the entire map, um, yeah, the the entire map of uh, I don't even I don't even know it was five It's probably like 1, one 100th of uh, all of the uh, map of uh, Gaia, I believe. Yeah, uh, the world map of Final Fantasy VII. So, um, the next two games are either going to be super massive, or they're going to spread this out and make it into a giant cash cow, which I don't think is very would be a very good idea. So I personally think if they'd done down the graphics and just expanded into the story a little bit more, it would have been great. Um, Now, in terms of voice acting, (laughs) Trials of Mana, honestly, is a little bit of an embarrassment. Um, The English voice acting is just not very good. I mean, it has its good moments. But in general, I remember just the other day I was playing through the part where, um, I, I'm playing through the story of Duran and, uh, let's see, Duran and Angela and Hawkeye are my, or that that's my party. And, oh, hold on. Sorry, Google decided it, it thought it heard itself being called. Um, anyway, uh, there's there's an occasion when some of the voice acting is decent but for the most part it's just beyond cheesy and given I grew up with anime from the 90s so cheesy is is kind of my uh cheesy is kind of my thing <laughs> but <laughs> like the, there was a conversation between Reese and and Duran and Angela's voice actor is not very good either uh, not that her voice is bad it's just the acting. I don't know who directed the acting, but there there should have been there should have been something done a little bit better there. It's astounding because a lot of the non-main character voice actors are really good, and all the main character voice actors are really bad. I don't know what happened there, but anyway, and the voice acting for Asimana is just atrocious. And the scene between Duran and uh, Reese when the whole um, you're essentially trying to get to Laurent. Uh, which is Reese's home, which mm-hmm. was destroyed by Hawkeye's people, the N- New Navarlin uh, forces. And um, she and her people are hiding away and building a resistance to um, take back Laurent. Uh, so there's a conversation between um, the main character and Reese, if Reese is not the main character. And the <laughs> the whole conversation is just unbelievably bad just because of the voice acting. Uh, now in final fantasy seven R's case, the voice acting was phenomenal. Um, I mean, the, the, the actors really filled their roles. Uh, I mean, even if I didn't necessarily picture that character as, you know, with that voice, somehow it just felt right. I don't know how they did it, but, um, It was it was beautifully directed. It was beautifully executed. So, um, I think if Trials of Mana, if they had gotten either, you know, uh, like quality voice actors, or if they had directed it a little differently, um, one way or another, I, I just feel like the voice acting could definitely use a little, uh, a little bumping up in that department. Um, it, it's, it definitely shows that, that it was a lower budget game compared to Final Fantasy VII R, but I'm sure the budget for Final Fantasy VII R was massive. And now let's get into the the big one that I know I'm going to have a lot of people disagree with me with. I am going to have a decent amount of people agree with me with, but <clears throat> the the story the story of final fantasy seven remake was like exactly how I pictured, um, the, you know, how final fantasy seven would have gone except for the whole freakish Dementor thing. <laughs> These, uh, uh, what are they called? the, uh, um, essentially the, uh, the, the timeline arbiters, you know, some, some, if a character is supposed to die, you know they're the ones trying to kill them, or if somebody's supposed to uh, supposed to live. They're the ones saving them, and I don't know. Like with Final Fantasy VII, the the game the game story itself meant a lot to me because it was a story that had to deal with coming to terms with what life is going to throw at you. Um in in the very beginning, and this is spoiler territory for those who haven't played the original, um, in the beginning, Jesse and Biggs and Wedge, they died. Uh, and the, the president of Shinra died as well. And I remember going through that scene, and I remember just that that feeling of, you know, what could have happened without them. And I'm sure that that's what this game is trying to explore. But when I was going through some personal issues myself and playing this game, that hit a home run for me because it was, you know, Barrett had to come to terms with essentially the, um, the consequences of his actions. Cloud had to come to terms with the consequences of his actions. And throughout the game, um, there's a lot of loss. There's a lot of tragedy. And there's... There's just a lot that happened in the game. In the original game. That got taken away at the at the very end of the remake. Uh, because of this whole... I don't, I don't even know. I know Tetsuya Nomura, every time he touches something, it's got to be... Um, it's got to be weird for some reason. I don't know what, what's going on in his head, but every single time he touches something, it gets twisted in a really bizarre way. I mean, look at the Kingdom Hearts series, which he's, obviously he's headed. Um, but you can kind of see how bizarre that series has gone. There's no real coherent story, um, which we're going to get into later. Uh, but Final Fantasy 7 R, right at the very end, it just stopped making sense and it stopped being personal it just became um you know what if these people lived and uh, sure like i'm in, and i'm interested in seeing what what would have happened but i was more interested in playing final fantasy 7 in a in a more modern um style not necessarily a more modern reimagining if that makes sense i would have i would have wanted to see the story of Final Fantasy VII as it was, maybe not beat for beat, but as it was told initially in a higher graphical fidelity with, with the same combat system that Final Fantasy VII Remake did. Um, that would have been much more interesting to me. Now, like I said, I I know people are going to you know throw a fit and say it doesn't need to be a 1-1 remake. You're right, it doesn't. But to... <laughs> um, but to kind of throw it in the fans' faces of, we're going to do it our way, screw what you think. Um, and that's... I, mean, I remember when I first saw the, the Arbiters of... I think I think they're called the Arbiters of Time. I can't... I don't know why I'm not... My brain is not functioning super well right now, so you'll, you'll have to bear with me. I don't remember exactly what they refer to as Arbiters or something. But... Um, When I don't know when uh, when they first showed up and they started correcting things or changing things to be like they were initially, I kind of felt like it it was a jab to the fans of the original, being like, "This is what you want. Sorry, you don't get it." And I initially thought it was kind of funny because I was I'm obviously one of those arbiters. I was like, "Why don't Why don't Why do you have to change everything? Why can't you just?" you know, retain what was good and continue forward with what was good instead of restructuring it and redoing it in a way that no longer becomes recognizable by those of us that remember. <laughs> Obviously, it's not one of, I'm not one of those people. Um, but Final Fantasy VII R um, could have been, like, top-notch. Obviously, history is going to remember it very, very fondly. But those of us who are here that were there in- initially and saw what it was and connected with what it was before, um, it just doesn't quite feel right. It doesn't quite feel um, – it-, it just it feels like all the things that we connected with that resonated with us, um, all the tragedy that, that occurred in the initial – uh, in the initial game, has is become arbitrary. It became moot as soon as the changes occurred. And yes, I do want to see what happens further. I, do, I really do. I want to see what happens with Jesse and Biggs and Wedge. And, you know, there's going to be something that really, you know, because Aerith has essentially told Cloud, don't fall in love with me because something, you know, it, uh, she's aware of what's going to happen. And, um, Jesse is now um, still present, and Jesse's always kind of had a thing for Cloud, as we all remember. Um, so, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a spark between Cloud and Jesse, or you know, are Bigs and Wedge going to have like a great big bazooka moment and save the crew, or you know, who knows what's going to happen? i I'm, I'm interested to see, but it's still disappointing to me that they removed the part of the game that was the part of the story, uh, I suppose is the better way to put it, that, that really hit, um, I guess really plucked the heartstrings for those of us that remember what initially happened. Um, now Trials of Mana, on the other hand, is, is basically a one, one remake other than um, some changes in dialogue and, it uh, There really hasn't been that many changes. I, I remember, you know, playing through the initial game or playing through the remake. I remember I was excited because I was like, I wonder if this is really going to be like a one, one. And I remember going just in the first town, there was one building that was different. <laughs> uh, it was just on the other side of town because they put a, a library where it was in the, in the original game and the, the fortune tellers place is on the other side of the town, which threw me off. Originally, because I knew exactly where it was before, and the fact that it wasn't there, just yeah, it threw me for a loop for the first time. But everything else, basically one-one. The story, basically one stories, I suppose, basically one-one retelling. And that much I greatly appreciate. I was just uh, super super happy to see that instead of you know taking some uh, creative liberties and changing um, for the for those of us that knew the original story and given I haven't known the original story for very long but there are some uh, that have known the story for years even decades and have loved it for years and even decades and to see it reimagined uh, essentially beat for beat of what it was that um, that 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 means a lot that's really cool you know i'm really happy that um, we get to experience the same thing, but in a in a better way if that makes sense. Uh, so uh, right now, we're gonna go ahead and take a short break and uh, we're gonna have, we're gonna hear from a sponsor and then we will be back in just a second. Thank you for that sponsor. I guess. (laughs) Um, Thanks for sticking around. Uh, Welcome back, and uh, we're going to get right back into it, and we are going to talk about the importance of of a coherent story in uh, in an RPG or a JRPG. Generally, it's a JRPG Uh, most of the time. RPGs like Western RPGs, they have a much larger budget to be able to deal uh, with story. And make it a little bit more coherent. Um, JRPGs, uh, I suppose it, it generally comes with the translation, but typically the um, typically the stories don't seem to run together well. And I guess the best example of this is, uh, as I was saying earlier, with uh, the Nomura's talent, I suppose, of disrupting comprehensibility in storytelling. Uh, I I remember going through Kingdom Hearts and the the first game made sense for about 30 seconds and then it didn't anymore. (laughs) And especially if you put them all together and I mean, it's supposed to be telling one long story, but you put them all together and it just does not make sense. Um, There's just, there's so many random loopholes and so many random plot holes and uh like the all these MacGuffins come in out of nowhere and then all these villains show up and for no reason. It's very strange the way that it's the way that uh Kingdom Hearts is structured and it's um it I don't know if they just didn't have the budget for somebody to write a coherent story. Or if they were focusing on the levels and just shoved a broken up story segments into there and tried to tried to fit the pieces together. Uh, it's, it's like putting together a 3,000 piece puzzle, except it's, from 3, 000, you know, it's one piece from 3,000 different puzzles. Some of them are going to fit together, and it might actually come out decent, but when you look at the whole picture and you somehow managed to fit all 3,000 pieces together in a very loose and odd-looking fashion, it's just going to look like a jumbled mess. And that's kind of what Kingdom Hearts looks like. Uh, not that the game is bad, and not that, you know... I actually really like Kingdom Hearts. I've been a, a loud advocate for a long time to get the Kingdom Hearts games on all modern systems, uh, particularly the Nintendo Switch. Um, and it just has not hasn't happened yet, which is astounding. But the, the story is just so, so wild and so incomprehensible. And um, that, that just kind of brings the question up is how important it is a coherent story in an RPG? And in my opinion, I do feel the two biggest, uh, most important aspects of a role playing game are the gameplay and the story. They need to go hand in hand. Um, gameplay is obviously going to be the number one focus of a video game developer. They're going to want to make the game as um, as fun, as fluid, and as enjoyable an experience as it can be. Um, and then, typically, the developers will focus on the beats of the story and how they can use the gameplay to... Um, to accentuate, or uh, I guess that's the best word for it—to accentuate the story, to tell the story in as and um, as entertaining a way as possible. And I suppose that's kind of where Tetsu Nomura's strengths really lie—is even if the story isn't coherent, it's still very entertaining, and it's very fun to go through. And you know, with Kingdom Hearts, you're jumping through all these different Disney worlds and you're seeing all these characters that you've known since childhood or most of us have known since childhood. And that in itself is, I mean, that, that that was a really cool experience, but that shouldn't be the entire experience. If, uh, if you know what I mean, Um, let's take a look at, uh, at the coherence of, Let's actually take a look at the coherent story that is Final Fantasy VII. Um, when I played through the game, I had no real trouble piecing together what the story meant, and it, because I knew kind of the backstory behind it. Uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, when he was when he was making Final Fantasy VII, he had suffered a very personal loss. He lost his mother. Um, I believe it was before the development of the game started. And then development of Final Fantasy VII started, and a lot of the game had to deal started to deal with loss. And as you progress through the game, you can kind of see what was going on in uh, Sakaguchi-san's head. Uh, you can see where he was feeling the most depressed as you play through the game, and you can also see actually towards the end when he began to actually accept that that part of his life was over and he had to turn the page and open up a new chapter uh, without that person in his life, which is a difficult thing to do, but it's something that needs to be done in everyone's life at one point or another. And, you know, speaking personally, I lost someone very close to me um, when I started playing Final Fantasy seven and I went through all the same, all the same steps of, of that, uh, of that loss of that mourning. Uh, as I was progressing through the game, and when the game was over, I wasn't completely over the person that I had lost, but I do remember having that feeling of, um, how do you, how do I put this? I felt like, um, playing Final Fantasy VII. Someone else understood what it was i was facing and um it was easier for me to to cope with uh the the tragedy that i was facing and uh, i mean that's probably why i'm a little bit more biased on on why final fantasy 7r should have followed the original story a little bit more closely uh, because you know that, that was an experience that i had you know somebody else out there might have will have the same experience and what if they um, you know, what if they played the original Final Fantasy 7 and had the same experience I had and they did play this remake and everything that they cherish gets taken away you know, story-wise um, it, again, we, we discussed that earlier um, I know there are people that, that will disagree with me my opinions mine, yours is yours let it be as it is now Final Fantasy VII's story had some moments that were not as comprehensible as they could have been. Uh, I remember, uh, again, spoiler territory, um, when uh, Cloud just vanished um, after their uh, big encounter with, uh, I think it was their second big encounter with Sephiroth. And uh, Sephiroth summoned a meteor, and after that, Cloud just vanished. And when uh, Tifa found him, and you know the rest of the group found him, there was this, uh, there was just a segment of getting going into Cloud's head, and piecing together what his past actually was, and you come to realize that he's not exactly who he thought he was, who we all thought he was. Um, he's, I mean, that's kind of why the character uh, Zach and. Why his death in, in the games was so um, meaningful, particularly to Cloud as a character, um, because his death made Cloud who he is. Uh, and so, you know, going into those memories, and you, it, when you don't know the backstory about, about Zach, and you kind of see him pop in here and there, and then Cloud shows up, you're like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> And then there's other pieces that, for some reason, start coming together, and th- there's just all these random things that come flying out of, you know, out of left field and slaps you in the side of the head, and you're like, "What in the world is going on?" Um, it gets very uh, interesting, I guess is the way is the best way to put it. Um, but th- the story beats the Final Fantasy VII. While some weren't as coherent as they could have been, it all managed to untangle itself towards the end, and became coherent. Now, in that in itself is good storytelling. In that, I think the gameplay of Final Fantasy VII, tying with the coherence of the story, and you know, obviously when it got tangled and then it became untangled, it um, it resonated with people. Uh, so. When, in terms of coherence of story, Kingdom Hearts has proven, and these are just a couple of examples Kingdom Hearts has proven that it can still retain a massive fan base without having a story that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and Final Fantasy VII has told that, uh, it is, you know, along with the gameplay and along with um, a story that has some moments of. Uh, that that lack of comprehensibility. <clears throat> it still it still tells a story that's meaningful. So the the story that's coherent for the most part has stuck with people for decades. Um, so it, I mean, there's there's other games out there where they they feel a little bit more segmented. Um, I remember playing Ease Eight, and I felt like that story was very disjointed at first, and then. You know, the the second half of the game, when everything starts coming together um, and everything starts to really make sense, that's when the game really, like, that's when the game became great. It went from good just because the gameplay itself was excellent and super, super fun. So that made the game good. The story was. Hard to follow, <laughs> and then it get to the second half of the game and it becomes great because now you know what's going on, you know what the what the dreams that Adol is having, and you you realize who who Donna is. I think it's Donna. Yeah, it's it's Donna. It's spelled Dana, but it's pronounced Donna. Um, in my opinion, when the story. Uh, when the story and the gameplay are both very good, like you can you can have not so great graphics. Uh, I mean, you you can have super low budget graphics, um, but still have great gameplay and a great story, and you'll and you'll build a massive following. Uh, as long as it's a story that will resonate with people, and as long as it's gameplay that will prove itself addicting. You know, in, in the case of the two big games we were talking about before, Trials of Mana and Final Fantasy 7 are both had very addicting gameplay. Uh, and both, well, Trials of Mana's story is it was meant to be more of a gameplay focused game, not a story focused game. So, a lot of the a lot of the story is yeah, the story doesn't necessarily take center stage, uh, which you know that's fine still a coherent story you can still understand what's going on all the way through Um, but uh, with that um, in my opinion a lot of games with really good stories have the silent protagonist I know there are people out there that will fight tooth and nail uh, against having a silent protagonist but I think silent protagonists should be taking center stage again why do I think that because these are role playing games an RPG is meant for the person playing to fill a role. And so having a silent protagonist, that's, in my opinion, having a customizable silent protagonist, they look how you want, they they sound how you want, they, they play how you want. That, in my opinion, will engross... A, it engrosses me into the story, so I actually have a personal interest in the story. It's not uh, my interest in how the character that's that I'm playing as uh, and you know it, it's it's me that's involved in the story so with a game like Dragon Quest 11 who has a, the silent protagonist a lot of people said oh the, the, they need to evolve they need to grow out of that I don't agree I think more games need to be implementing the silent protagonist specifically because with the silent protagonist it becomes necessary for the player to to fill a role, to become that person. So, um, and I remember an interview with the director of Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, he was he was asked um, why he why he uh, wanted to make a, a game now with a silent protagonist, and the thing he said was because I want the player. Like I said, he he wanted the player to fill the role. He wanted the player to interact with the world of how they would interact with the world. So when somebody says something, um, his idea was that players would respond in their head how they how they would want to respond as that character, and then um, it, it would be almost be like a like a conversation, uh, the the way he wrote it. Now, in my opinion, I feel like that's how. Oh, that's how RPGs and JRPGs should really go is with the silent protagonist. <coughs> Excuse me. Nope. I'm not sick. I had a tickle in my throat cause I've been talking and I don't have water. Um, I think the idea of playing for me, playing a role playing game means I'm fitting into the story. Um, indirectly as the player, I'm taking control of a character that fits into the story, whether directly or indirectly. Uh, I think one of my favorite stories is while it didn't have a son of protagonist, it was uh, final fantasy 12, uh, because Vaughn as a, as a character did not really have much of a stake in the story. Uh, Here we go again. Sorry. There, the character Vaughn didn't have a stake in the story because he was just a bystander. Um, but he became an he became an important character in the story because as a bystander he felt like he had a uh, he felt like he had a stake because he lost something very dear to him because of what was happening in the story. So, um, I think having a character that starts as a bystander and then becomes becomes a lead. I think would be a very important, should be a very important, uh, a very important way to portray a story in a video game. Uh, a video games have a very specific and uh, intriguing medium in that that's a possibility. It's not a book where you're reading a story about all these people and how they interact with their world. You're not watching a movie where you see these characters and how they interact with their world. You are. You are playing a video game, you are taking control of a character and you get to interact with uh, with the world created by somebody else. So um with that said, having a silent protagonist in a video game, it gives you more control to to fill your role does that does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. as a silent protagonist, you are the one that's that's fitting into the story it's not uh this blank slate nobody it's you and if you are a blank slate nobody then sure (laughs) i guess that person is a blank slate nobody that you're controlling on the screen um but the idea of that blank slate nobody on the screen is for you to fit into that role the reason link is named link in the legend of zelda is because Shigeru Shigeru Miyamoto wanted him to be the link between the player and the the world of the video game. Um, So, in a sense, Legend of Zelda was really the first, one of the first console RPGs there was, other than Dragon Quest, of course. But that being said, I personally feel that silent protagonists should take center stage again because that gives the player the opportunity to... uh, Hmm. It gives the player the opportunity to experience ex- escapism at its highest level, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, they're no longer the player. They are now the character that they are portraying on the screen. I mean, that, that's the beauty of role-playing games, is you are meant to fill a role. You are meant to portray the character on the screen. You aren't meant to just play as them. This isn't an action adventure where you're running around and I mean, say in like Call of Duty or um, say uh, Gears of War, you're experiencing the story of somebody else. You're you just happen to be controlling the character and watching the story progress with that character. You are involved in the story. That's the beauty of, like I said, that's the beauty of the role-playing game is that you get to be. the the protagonist. Um, You can be the nobody that becomes somebody. And that's... I mean, in a world right now where things are kind of twisted and turned and um, it just seems like there's really nothing that we can do other than uh, sit at home and watch, um, having a silent protagonist video game gives us the opportunity to experience something that... um, Otherwise we wouldn't have the opportunity. It gives us the it gives us that opportunity to experience a story that in a sense we're getting to tell because the developers of the game have offered us that possibility. Um so games like uh, Dragon's Dogma or Skyrim or Legends of the Breath of the Wild, as a matter of fact. They, in my opinion, are are excellent games to be playing, particularly right now, because in a world where we, where we can't really go outside, we can experience a different world where we can go wherever we want. We can do as we please, because we are the ones involved in the story. The story, while typically will follow a given path, is still our story to unfold, and our story to tell. And thank you everyone for sticking around for today's podcast. Again, this is only a six episode podcast, so there will be five more episodes coming. Um, And next week, we're going to go over uh, we're actually going to go over uh, Skyrim's popularity, why it has survived as long as it has. Um, And Why a game like Bloodborne, which astonishingly has not received a sequel yet, is a modern classic. Uh, And we're going to go over some other things as well. So uh, stay tuned and I will see you all as soon as that episode drops. Have a good one.